universe, God is at the center of his universe. And everything he does ultimately revolves around himself. And if he were to exalt someone or something else, he would no longer be the God who is worthy of all exaltation, and he is. And we see this passion for his own glory in the nations from cover to cover in scripture, right? From Genesis 12, Abraham, I'll bless you so that you will be a blessing and you will make my goodness, my grace, my glory known among all the peoples of the earth. Reiterated to his son Isaac in Genesis 26.4, to his son Jacob in Genesis 28.14. It's the whole story of the patriarchs that we see unfold there. It's the whole picture that, that unfolds as God leads his people out of slavery in Egypt. In Exodus 14.4, he says, I'm doing this to gain glory for myself. That's why I'm parting, splitting the Red Sea in half and driving you through on in the middle, and the, you look in your rearview mirrors, and the water comes crashing down on those Egyptians. The reason I'm doing that, Exodus 14, 4, is to gain glory for myself. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. It's the story of him leading his people into the promised land. It's Joshua 5 and 6, first major battle in the promised land. City of Jericho, massive walls all the way around it, and Joshua, Joshua chapter five, verse 13, he's off by himself, wondering, all right, this is the first major battle they've been training for 40 years plus. How are we gonna take this city? And he had five military options available to him to take a city with these walls. Either, number one, they could go under, over the walls. Number two, they could go under the walls. Number three, they could try to break through the walls. Number four, they could send a decoy in, kind of like a Trojan horse type thing. Or number five, they could starve the people inside the walls, make them come out. So he's got five options, over, under, through, send the decoy in, starve them, make them come out. God comes to him and he says, here's the battle plans. Joshua's thinking, over, under, through, decoy, starter. <laughs> God says, get your music, guys. <laughs> some trumpet players. Pull out sheet music and you guys play some tunes for a couple days. And, <laughs> and here's the kicker, like, once you played some songs for a few days, and everybody at the same time is gonna shout. <laughs> the walls will come down. If you are Joshua, you're wanting a second opinion at that point. <laughs> can you imagine going back to an army that's been ready to battle for 40 plus years and be like, uh, guys, we're, we're giving this to the, to the music guys. They're, they're <laughs> They've been working hard too, and we're gonna give it to them. <laughs> Why? Why did God design that battle plan for the first major city in the promised land? He's doing what he does all throughout scripture. He's orchestrating the events of his people so that in the end, only he gets the glory for what happens. Let me tell you what you don't see in Joshua chapter six, when they take the city exactly like God said to take the city. You don't see all the Israelites going up to the trumpet players telling them what an incredible job they did that day. Harry, I've never heard you play that well. Ralph, you hit the high C, it was awesome. We went running in. No, you see the people on their faces saying only God could have done that. God is making a great name for himself. Nice, I love that clip. Uh, if anything ever happens to me, there's lots of good videos out there, just push play. There's some preachers that'll take good care of you. After first service, my wife said, I think that guy's funnier than you. I said, shut your mouth. You watch, watch your mouth. Um, no, I, I like that clip. It, 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 all, it in some ways previews uh, some of the books that we're going to be talking about today, but it also reminds us uh, of the overarching theme of what we see from Scripture from cover to cover. Um, we see this 
overwhelming sense of God and his presence throughout the story, right? People come and go, events come and go, but here's God weaving his story throughout uh, and, and pointing and building towards Jesus, the Messiah, the, the Savior of the world who would come and take away our sins. It all points towards that. And so there's, there's this great theme throughout God bringing glory to himself uh, and offering us salvation in the midst of that. So we're jumping uh, right in today. Uh, There's been, I think I've mentioned the last couple weeks, there's a little bit of this tension in this series where we're trying to find this balance between information and the transformation that we can experience as a result of that information, right? More uh, more than than just information for information's sake, we want to see what God wants to do in our lives through this and see him weaving the story together. And and so today we get into the books of Old Testament history, uh, the books of Joshua through Esther, and, and so today I'm going to, uh, first half, kind of that leaning on that information sucked in there, and then second half we'll do a little bit of preaching around one specific theme that I, that I can see in, in all these books collectively. Um, so as we, as we jump into Joshua in the books that follow, we're coming out of the Torah, right? We get through Deuteronomy, um, and the books of, of the history, they, they really kind of lay out the history of God's people Israel in a, a thousand-year stretch from Joshua all the way to Ezra and Nehemiah, uh, they pretty much fall in chronological order. There's a little bit of overlap in there, but they're written in a way that's very similar to what you find in the Gospels in the New Testament. And, and there's, there's some dialogue, there's some recounting of situations and interactions, maybe some brief conversations. Uh, but in some ways, the way it's written uh, makes it these books, some of the easier books to read in the Old Testament. They're pretty straightforward. They're, they're mostly stories, lots of uh, military intrigue and love stories and betrayals, a lot of stuff to kind of hold your attention. Um, and in the midst of that, there are some big-time God stories, some significant moments in these books as it covers these thousand years of Jewish history. And it kicks right off with Joshua. And this book is, is huge, right? Because after decades of wandering in the wilderness, and those decades followed centuries of slavery, and even going back before that, where we find ourselves in Joshua is it's been 600 years since God made the covenant with Abraham. Israel finally enters the promised land. And so this, Joshua feels like, uh, kind of gets added right in with the Torah, right? Almost an epilogue to the Torah because it jumps right from Moses into Joshua's leadership. Moses is exiting the scene. And yet again, God, right? His presence and his leadership continue on. And, And as they enter into the promised land, it's really God saying, hey, it's time to finally experience and live out all of the promises that I've given you, all of the preparation that I've been doing in your lives all of these years, all of the laws and commandments of the Torah, all of the preliminary battles that Moses led them through. Uh, it, was, it was God leading them in a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day, God leading them through human leaders that came and went. We see his deliverance through things like the Red Sea. We see tremendous provision for his people. It says in Deuteronomy in one spot that as they wandered for 40 years, their shoes and their clothes did not wear out. Right? That's pretty remarkable when you think about that type of provision. And so they've had some hard but sometimes very beautiful lessons that they've been learning throughout. And God's saying, now you get to take it. You get to enjoy the fruit of the journey that I've had you on. And it's all built towards taking the land. And now the promise is being fulfilled. And so some key moments that we see in the book of Joshua, uh, as we saw in the video, they cross over the Jordan, which itself is hugely symbolic because on one side, mostly wilderness, and they cross over into a land that was mostly beauty and prosperity. We see the first battle in Jericho that Joshua led. And like we said, only God, right? Only God could accomplish it the way he did it. And so we see moments like that. But in the midst of it, we see that 
the, the nation is key, the community is emphasized over individual, and yet we see stories where many people are impacted by the individual choices to obey or rebel within that nation. In Joshua 10, uh, not a pivotal story for the entire theme, and yet one of my favorites. In Joshua 10, they're fighting a battle and they're losing daylight, and so God stops the sun in the sky for half a day. Now, you don't have to get real deep into science class to understand what happens for the sun to stop in the sky for half a day. It is scientifically impossible. Uh, And I'm one of those people that would say that the Bible and science work very well together, but there does come a point where you have to step back and say, okay, I'm going with the God story on this one. Science, in some ways, if you're one of those who, if in your life you desire for scripture and science to match up perfectly every single time, you're going to come across situations where it just can't happen, that happen in this book. Um, As we get towards the end of Joshua, we see the disbursement of the land to each of the families and tribes. um, And we see in Joshua's final speech, because Amazingly, just like Moses came and went, Joshua comes and goes. And we see his final uh, challenge and reminders to the people. He gives what really amounts to a a combination of reminder and warning uh, that God entered this covenant with them. And there's two sides to this covenant. It's not all uh, blessing and prosperity. There's another side to it. So we see in Joshua 23, 14, Joshua says, Now I, just like Moses, just like Abraham, just like all those who came before me, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. But just as all the good things the Lord your God has promised you have come to you, so he will bring on you all the evil things he has threatened until the Lord your God has destroyed you from this good land he's given you. If you violate the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and you go and serve other gods and bow down down to them, the Lord's anger will burn against you, and you will quickly perish from the good land he's given you. And so there's, there's some pretty awesome statements, right? Every one of the promises has been fulfilled. None of them have failed. That's a powerful statement there, and it builds into chapter 4, where you see the verse that's on your refrigerator right now, Hey, you can serve who you want to serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So some really awesome statements here as we get into the book of Joshua. Basically, God is saying, hey, as you take over this land, things could go very well for you. Things could go very badly for you. And as we look into the book of Judges, we find out that very quickly it goes very badly for them. So let's look at the book of Judges, right? Judges is, uh, if, if you're looking for really cool stories that include what we would call these days a lot of toxic masculinity, Judges is the book. If you're looking for Braveheart, Judges. If you're looking for 300, Judges. If you're looking for The Equalizer, Judges, right? It's just full of all kinds of these crazy, like, fighting, killing bloodshed, taking out Philistines, right? All kinds of crazy stuff in Judges. You see Ehud, you see Deborah, you see Gideon, you see Samson, you see a lot of very cool stories, a lot of cool characters, but extremely flawed individuals. And chapter by chapter, leader by leader, the people grow further and further away from God. And although he delivers them time and time again, they continue to move further and further and get worse and worse. And what we find out in Judges is that this is what it looks like When a nation, when a people, when a family, when a person chooses their own way. It gets progressively worse through the book of Judges and builds into the next section of these historical books. 
Then we get a little bit of reprieve. If we're reading cover to cover, we come across Ruth, right? Ruth, uh, this is a beautiful oasis in the desert of broken humanity and leadership in the Old Testament. Ruth is a young Moabite woman. She gets welcomed as a daughter-in-law into a Jewish family, but very quickly her husband passes away, her father-in-law passes away, her brother-in-law passes away, and they have these difficult decisions to make, but she chooses to remain loyal to her mother-in-law, Naomi, and ultimately you, you read a beautiful story where she finds love again and finds a very unique place in the lineage of King David and of Jesus. And, and what we find out through Ruth is that God's story of redemption is not just for Israel, it's for everyone. His story of redemption is for everyone. Ruth basically is the hallmark channel of the Old Testament. You're going to read about it's inspirational. There's love. There's loyalty. There's family. Uh, there's uh, a cowboy who moved to New York City and attempts to find love. Um, no, there's not none of that. You guys don't watch the hallmark channel? Come on. That's every story. Um, but we, we see God's provision even for those who don't necessarily fit the mold that we would think goes along with the story. That's Ruth. From there, we get back to some, some good history stuff. First, first and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. These books lay out uh, the leading up to the installment of a human king over Israel and then the chaos and the destruction that ensue as a result of that decision. Um, coming out of the time of the judges, it's extremely ugly time for the Israelites, and so they want a king. They want a, a big, strong, strapping human king to lead the nation. And so God sends them a guy named Saul. Saul's big, strong, handsome, everything that you would want, the physical traits of a human king, except that we discover that Saul doesn't follow God. His punishment is that his, his royal line will not continue, and so God sends Samuel to, to pick David instead, who will be chosen as the next king of Israel. We see him as a shepherd boy. We see him slay Goliath. We see him as a great warrior and general. We see him develop a friendship with Saul's son, Jonathan, and, and that creates some tension because David is being chosen to replace their family with the kingship. And so David ends up in exile, running from Saul, who's attempting to take his life over and over and over again. But through all of that, David's family tree is established, and it's the family tree through which Jesus would ultimately come. And so God uses it. It's horrible human leadership throughout these books, but God uses it in the midst of the roller coaster ride. There's some good, but mostly bad kings, and it leads to civil war and a division between north and south in the kingdom. We see both separate kingdoms get conquered at different times, and the northern tribes go into exile to Assyria. The southern tribes end up in exile to Babylon and then Persia, and we see this ongoing pattern of rebellion within God's people. Even as he provides deliverance, even as God is faithful, they continually to choose rebellion. Then we get into Ezra and Nehemiah, and these start to give us some individual stories within the exile of the people um, Ezra is allowed to return from exile to rebuild the temple. Nehemiah is allowed to return to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And in both, we see the people starting to rediscover the beauty of God's word. And we see great examples of godly leadership, with be which begins with total surrender to God's leading. Ezra and Nehemiah, great. If you're just looking for great leadership principles, principles that go along with following God's way and allowing him to lead you as you lead others, Ezra and Nehemiah is a great place to go for those. And then the books of history wrap up with the story of Esther. And just for some basics there, uh, she enters on the scene in a precarious time for the Jewish people under Persian rule. They have lots of enemies around the known world. And the outcome of her people could go one of two different ways throughout this story. Uh, she's a young Hebrew woman named Esther 
who is chosen as the new queen of Xerxes. And interestingly, if you have seen the movie 300, the freaky dude Xerxes in there who's trying to conquer uh, the Spartans, that's the king that Esther married. And so it's kind of interesting to put her in that place in history and be like, man, was he that weird? Possibly. He was definitely that evil, right? And so Esther gets stuck in this difficult situation um, and finds herself in a position where either she could approach the king on behalf of her people at the risk of her life, or she could remain silent and compliant and watch the genocide of her people take place. And so it's kind of, it's in some ways, it's a tense story, but it's a fun story. There's lots of irony, lots of twists and turns, and, and we discover that even when God is unseen, he is still active and intimate and in control. And we see an amazing combination of beauty and courage come out of this character, Esther. And there's a couple famous lines I want to read. Um, speaking of uh, refrigerator verses, there's a couple here you might want to throw on there. Esther 4, she's interacting with her uncle Mordecai, who had been her caretaker and confidant throughout this whole process. Um, And he says this, he says, If you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. I think that's awesome. But then Esther gets her chance. She sent this reply to Mordecai and said, Go. Gather all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, night or day, and I and my attendants will fast as you do. And when this is done, I will go to the king, even though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. That's awesome, right? Such a strong statement uh, from a a really cool character in Esther. Uh, And so there's some really good stuff there. But there's there's one main takeaway in particular that I want to hit on this morning because all of these stories, all of these characters, all this history, and all these pivotal moments, we see a very interesting contrast play out in the midst of these people, in the midst of these event and, and events, and it's, it's in the way that they respond to God. And so you take people like Joshua and Caleb, other men and women of God that we find in these stories, we see them being obedient to God. We see them as servants of God, having big hearts for God. They believed what God said about himself and the land and the promises and the covenant, and we look at who they are and who those people become as a result of their obedience and their willingness to follow faithfully. We see people who are strong and courageous, people who display the early signs of what we know as the fruit of the Spirit. We see God guiding them and blessing them. We see people respecting them and following their lead. Their leadership and presence helps bring about times of peace and confidence. They build strong foundations. They build strong families as they pursue and accomplish God-sized endeavors. And we can very easily contrast that with people who do the exact opposite and choose a different path. And the people like Joshua, they are people of authenticity and strength and courage. And the people who choose their own way are consistently political and conniving and deceptive and weak and honestly downright forgettable in the midst of this big story. This contrast is, I think, best summed up as we look at some of the kings that Israel experiences over the years. There's obedient kings and there's disobedient kings. And as you read through, especially First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, you see dozens of kings come and go, generation after generation. They came and they went. They have a variety of beginnings, a variety of reigns. You got a guy named Abijah who's king for three years. Not bad. You have a guy named Asa, 41 years. A guy named Basha, 24 years. And then there's a guy named Zimri, who was king for a grand total of seven days. Nice. 
Some of them began as adults and barely lasted. Some of them, a couple of them literally began as children but ruled for decades. And as you read this, there's different results and reigns. For some of them, they expanded the kingdom. Some of them, the kingdom shrunk under their leadership. Some of them won a bunch of battles. Some of them lost every time they went to, to the line. Some of them, their royal line extended beyond them. Some of them, it ended with them and got transferred to someone else. Some of them knew nothing but war. Some of them, nothing but peace. Some of them were loved by the people. Some of them were hated by the people. Some of them died in peace. Some of them were brutally assassinated. And honestly, all of their descriptions of their reigns seem pretty trivial and pass on, as if, pass on through the books as if they're not even important. And there's, there's a couple different spots where it says, hey, as for, as for all the events of so-and-so's reign and all that he did, aren't they written in the book of the annals of the kings of Israel and Judah? Translation, if you really care, go and look it up, but we're not going to say too much about it. Right? It's just not that this guy's not that big of a deal. If you want to read about all he did and the decisions that he made and the laws that he made and broke on, it's all in the it's all in the books. Go and look it up if you really care. But there's this one underlying theme in the midst of all of their time. Almost every king had a one-sentence summary of their reign. And this summary, as you read these stories and come to that one sentence, it clearly becomes the focal point of their section of time. And how it plays out, it says, this is when he took over, this is how long he reigned, and then it finishes with a variation of one thing. It says, this is when he took over, this is how long he reigned, and his heart was fully devoted to the Lord. Or, more commonly, unfortunately, this is when he took over, this is how long he reigned, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord. And there was a variation. For some of us said, this is how long you reign, and he did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. Or he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. It was the one thing God cared about. It was the significant identifying characteristic of their reign. When they were being followed, who did they follow? In a kingly, royal sort of way, when they were being worshipped, who did they worship? the question throughout all of these human stories and the intrigue of these historical books that you see people succeeding and struggling, thriving and, and trying to figure things out, but it didn't matter how successful or fair or balanced or strong they were. It didn't matter how much personal growth they were experiencing, not even how their family was doing or how influential they were. It wasn't how good of a leader they were, how well-behaved their kids were, how much they loved their wife or were respected by their wife, how much they put away in savings and made as an annual salary. All of those things were important, and yet it came down to one question. Is their heart fully devoted to the Lord? All the other things are fantastic, right? All of those things are qualities that we want to see in ourselves and in the people that we love and the people around us. We want people to have strong families and, and a strong work ethic. We want people to succeed and build strong foundations in their life, to memorize scripture and be a part of good things at church, right? But all of those qualities are born out of the quality. Is your heart fully devoted to the Lord? And that's where we can tie it back in with the video that we watched. We mentioned Jericho, right? There's a whole lot of important things in life, things that are important and things that help, right? There were trumpets. They were important and they helped. There were singers and people who shouted and they were important and they helped in the process. There were probably archers and soldiers there ready to go and they were important and they helped. There's Joshua, right? This great leader of the Old Testament. His leadership is there guiding the people, being the go-between between God and them. And he was important and he helped. But all of those things were important and helped 
only in submission to something far less visible. There's a moment in 1 Samuel 16 where David is being chosen as the next king of Israel. And so God sends Samuel to to the house of Jesse, and he's got all these sons, good-looking guys, big, strong guys, hard workers, soldiers, some of them. And and Samuel's going, I think this is the guy, right? He fits the mold, right? He's exactly what you would want to see out of a king. His appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You take that message and you put it into some of these historical books. The judges, every single one of them is pathetic apart from God. You look at Ruth, wonderful woman, right? Great story. And yet in her context, she's got some strikes against her. She's a foreigner, strike one. She's a woman in her context, strike two. She's a widow, strike three. No business with influence, no business having a place in the story, and yet she's there. Nehemiah, he was a cupbearer. Read up on that. Kind of a cool position, but dangerous. Not exactly in a, a, a high-level, educated position. This dude had no business being a general contractor, and yet he was called. Esther, fantastic story, fantastic character. But she's a, she's a young woman stuck in a one-way marriage to a gross, evil king, and she was only chosen as queen because he deemed her as hotter than all of the other candidates. That's the story. All of these people have no business having a major role in the history of Israel, let alone the greater story. And yet with hearts surrendered to God, their stories became part of the story. And that's where the section starts to take on some significance for us because the truth is they are us and we are them. Their stories are our stories. Their patterns are our patterns. Their roller coaster ride of following God is our roller coaster ride. Their struggle is our story. Uh, uh, my kids have done a pretty good job of jumping into devotionals over the last couple years, doing some reading. A lot of it, I'd like to think that I'm a good dad, but honestly, uh, it's because their youth group leaders during the week have challenged them to get into some of that. So they don't listen to me. Thankfully, they listen to Joe. Um, they probably don't even listen to Joe. They listen to the volunteers. Um, we just give Joe credit for it because somebody's got to take it. But So my son, at one point, I walked in went to say goodnight, and he was doing some reading. He said, Dad, the Israelites were kind of stupid, weren't they? I mean, all, all the honesty and bluntness of a junior high boy. And I said, yeah, yeah, they were, right? You can't read their history without shaking your head a little bit. Just some situations you're like, are you serious? So much potential, such an incredible honor and a blessing to be chosen as God's people, raised up for a purpose of eternal significance, only to spend their history in a cycle of rebellion and living in the consequences of their rebellion. So yeah, are they kind of stupid? Yeah, I think they kind of are, but yeah. We are, right? Same potential, same honor, same eternal significance to our lives. And how often do we struggle with that choice between obedience and rebellion? And so as Brian and Miriam come and lead us through one more song, I'd love you to just ponder this question. What would your king summary say? Right, that one line at the end, this is when she was born, this is how long she lived, these are the things that she was a part of. If you're really interested, go and read her journal. It's all there, right? It's a, you can find out the details, ask her kids, whatever. You can find out the events of her life. What would your king summary say? Right, as you read through 
some of the books in this historical section of Scripture, what, what pattern do you find yourself in? Is it, is it a consistent theme of my kingdom, my way, my throne, my name, my outward appearance, my success, or is it redirected in direction of your creator God? To weave together this story of salvation that not only was available to this people Israel, but to all of us who by faith would choose to follow him and believe what he says and do what he does. These guys are going to sing this song. You're welcome to sing along with them. Um, you can stand if you'd like. You can remain sitting if you'd like. But I'd love you to just take these few minutes because it's just a chance to, to kind of process here like, as they, they sing this song. Man, when the music fades... Everything gets stripped away, the details of my life, the highs and the lows, the comings and the goings. What am I bringing to lay before the King of Kings? Can I come before him and lay my heart at his feet and say, this heart was fully devoted to you? Because if that's true, then we don't have to worry about all the other details and the, and the highs and lows and the, the victories and defeats, the successes and the failures, because he's going to weave the story together and make us a part of that grander story. So as they sing, take these few minutes. Feel free to sing along if you'd like or just sit and pray and process. Um, let see what God might have to say to you this morning.